This is Talking Ears. My name is Frank Wardinger. And in this episode, co-producer Juan Vasquez and I were able to talk with fellow audiologist Brendan Fitzgerald. He and I have presented a couple times together on the topic of music audiology for the hearing conservation community. But since Juan's known Brendan a little bit longer than me, Juan is going to actually kick this one off. There's a lot, you know, that we would love to just pick your brain about. You know, you're the director of this structured improvisational orchestra. You guys have done a couple albums so far. I think that there's a third on the way. You've also been involved with education, kind of public outreach, some silent film scoring. Quite a lot on your plate. I guess one of the first things I wanted to ask and pick your brain about, specifically about your musicianship, where does that influence come from? Is it about something a little bit deeper? Is it about your interests? Is it about just art and craft? Where do you begin? That's a really big question and a, and a tricky one. Because, you know, I think for any creator or art maker or musician, or we're, uh, you know, we're kind of called to do this early on and we don't we don't really know how or why or how it happens or when it comes to like you know my process or where do I start today I feel like it's kind of just been informed by like a life of really kind of wild kind of musical and otherwise experiences you know I guess, you know, if I were to say specifically, it's about like how I think about being in the world. So a lot of the things that we talk about with Wooden Cities, the chamber ensemble that you mentioned, is really about like always expressing with intent, you know, and trying to better understand intention. So like the group started, gosh, like 10, 12 years ago. And the group started it as like playing all these like student composer pieces and stuff like that. So, you know, it was like trying to figure out what their intent was and help them figure out how to communicate that intent. So that process of like constant communication and interpretation of intent is really where like a lot of, a lot of all the music that I make starts from playing on pop records or playing stuff that seems you know, completely improvised or not completely improvised or whatever, you know, like it's, it always has to come from like intention. And even if that intention is like no intention, you know. So like the, the, the product a lot of the time is less important than the process. And that's sort of like with a lot of the experimental stuff 
that I do or the kind of uh, new music stuff that I do. You know, I always want to be with the people doing the thing, you know, like the people who make this music with me are very important to me. And then from there we work like in communion to realize that the intent of the composer or each other or, you know, or that in between. And that's really where the, the beautiful things happen, you know, in terms of like making something good that you feel good about is like that it happens from uh, that interplay uh, with, you know, a score that could be 60 years old and the people in the room interpreting uh, the ideas on the page. What I remember from your film with the documentary for work, your first record with Wooden Cities, you had a very democratic approach and sort of style to approaching the songwriting, but also the performing. And there is this aspect of everything being intentional, playing with purpose. And when I heard you talk about that in an interview you did, I think it was last year, last summer, I think that's actually something really cool and different, but more so validating for any artist and any new and up-and-coming musician, where so long as there's something meaningful behind it and there's a purpose and you're doing it actually in this atmosphere, sort of this, um, this task, and you're doing so with whether there is no intent or there is an intent, but doing so because you're there, you know, being actually present doing that, it kind of not dismisses um, technical mastery, but I think with that, it sort of trumps that a little bit, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's something that you... Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, again, like the people are, are what really matter most to me and the community that I'm making the things that I make with, you know, there, there was a time that we thought, Oh, you know, we got to write grants and get this money and chase this down and do this kind of programming and uh, jump through this hoop and that hoop and apply for this and that go to this festival, blah, blah, blah. But as soon as we stopped, as soon as we, me stopped doing that, the process became more like, the only people we have to answer to, there's no donors, there's no funding, there's no whatever. The only people we answer to is us and the people who want to join in community with us and experiencing this music. That's the only thing that, that we have to worry about. And there's nothing that is not to say that, you know, these, these ensembles that get the big grants and, and do the big stuff, you know, that that's not a good thing because it's super important. 
But for us in our model, you know, we were sort of liberated by having to go and do those, or at least I was, you know, I didn't have to keep chasing that stuff down. So, you know, like last summer, we spent a week preparing Anthony Braxton scores. We rented a house, we all went down and we we dug into these scores and just like enjoyed that process. So, you know, we're, it's a definitely a different model. It's definitely a different um, approach, um, but everybody plays their equal part, both musically and organizationally. And I've been lucky enough to, to sort of try to direct that in some capacity. You know, yeah. um, and it's been really, really uh, an absolute wonderful, beautiful thing that, uh, you know, like I said, uh, has made these relationships um, the most fulfilling. Totally. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, in talking about this with some folks, it's with your approach, with your style, it's so avant-garde. It's almost... You know, it's almost too out there, at least with some of your recorded music, alongside with your uh, silent film scores, which I'm a particular fan of. It's crazy that your whole band, you know, all of Wooden Cities, is so unique, so different in their approach to their specific instrument, their specific voice, and their their being, really. Yet you come together as one mind as one being as one group it's got to be a magical feeling to work through that and to actually have something come out of it me personally as a listener to your music it it's rather challenging (laughs) it's something that um, i wouldn't say is simple to listen to you know it's not traditional pop music however with that said it's also music that has been thought of maybe a hundred years ago and so it's, I think, something that is just incredibly unique, but just refreshing. We're hearing new music, but the idea itself of what you're doing actually isn't really new at all. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because, like, we kind of alluded to this in some of our talk before, but, like, this idea of, like, what aesthetically pleasing things are, you know. I remember we were doing a, a concert in indiana we were doing this tour this is like a long time ago now it's at a college and i remember i said something like in in this like pre-concert talk they wanted us to give something like you know if you if you like it great if you don't that's fine um because you know like the program we were programming like really trying to program really vastly different things kind of like variety hour of like contemporary classical music you know And I really feel like, you know, when people ask me, what's the deal, or I don't get it, or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, I always say like, no, you, you do get it. You know, (laughs) you have, you have feelings about what is hitting your ears. And if they're strong, negative feelings, then, you know, explore that. If they're like strong, positive feelings, you know, like sit there and feel great. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like 
that's all I really want people to do with, with this music is, is to like engage with it or think about it or, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, you don't have to like, you don't have to quote unquote get it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not about music. Isn't nobody says like, I don't get this steak dinner. Like, is there, is there some wild part of my anatomy that works different? Is there something wrong or right with my brain? Did I, did I, train hard enough in my ear training class to quote unquote get it did i listen to enough mahler to quote unquote get it (laughs) you know like or did i not not listen to enough slayer (laughs) to get it yeah you know what i'm saying totally I wanted to ask about, like, because I have this burning question that's very similar to what Juan is asking, which is, like, you know, there is there is kind of what, like, societal aesthetic norms or, or pleasing things, you know, and, and you have musicians out there who, you know, they want to make the best jazz album or the, the most pretty string ensemble, yeah. the most danceable pop tune or something like that. They're going for, like, a thing they're going for a specific reaction or a specific thing and it usually comes down to i'm going for the most beautiful blank but that word beautiful you used it earlier beautiful means there's a whole saying for it beauty is in the eye of the beholder or in the ear of the beholder in this case so i find your music stunningly beautiful because it moves me it makes me it takes me out of the moment and it puts me into a different mindset it changes like my my pathways you know what i mean and that's beautiful to me that's beautiful to me that's such a beautiful thing to say thank you right yeah yeah well it's true i was i was just re-listening to work just yesterday and i had to like literally stop what i was doing to like think about what was happening and how it was affecting me like emotionally because it was, and I've heard it tons of times before, but like it, it took me out of the moment again. And that's beautiful to me. That said, the beauty in it is also in the producing it. And what you, I think your answer to, to Juan's first question of like the, it's about the people and the community that you're making it with. That's, mm. I'm so happy to hear that answer because I, I wasn't sure if it was because you also like challenging people or like this is to your ears a beautiful sound in the kind of the classical sense of the term so i i i'm really i'm i'm really glad oh, to hear that that's, I am. yeah <laughs> that's such a a very kind thing to say frank i really that that means a lot
the process in the beginning was very much about, you know, these these composers would write like the hardest thing they could conceive of, and then we would have to like figure it out. Sometimes that pushes people in ways that isn't positive or productive. You know, I'm sure there are times when we weren't being intentional or working in community uh, and power dynamics and ensembles of three people versus 23 people, which, we, you know, we've done works that large. It's, it's a very delicate balance of like presenting to an ensemble, this is the idea, right? Because that's, that's what they look for from a director or a conductor. Like, you know, like my role as a conductor of the group often is the ears that say, no, this is, this is the intent. Can we do it this way? Mm. And that's explored and, you know, a lot of times voted on. Um, and so a lot of times in the beginning, it was very much kind of, you know, I'm driving the bus and we're, we're getting people on board and I'm, I'm pointing things out to people and saying, oh, no, this is, this is where this lines up and this is where this goes and this is this part. And over the years, the music that we've been programming has kind of uh, morphed a little bit more uh, into things that challenge people to present their ideas. You know, I think a lot of our music explores dissonance in less traditional ways, like instead of chord progressions that are predictable. And I mean, technically a five chord is, is dissonant, right? Like it, it creates tension against, you know, a resolution. And I think a lot of the stuff that we're interested in, in now, instead of harmonic dissonance, even though that's what it sometimes comes out as, it's timbral dissonance or rhythmic dissonance. And then similarly, like resolution. So I feel like perception and perceptual beauty, you know, when we start to expand our definitions of consonance and dissonance and tension and resolution, you know, if we hold that that same uh, filter that over uh, the music that we do, it, a lot of it translates, you know, really pretty well. Um, and so that's why I feel like, you know, anybody who's who's interested to listen and say, I like this or don't like this or whatever, um, is engaging with it, right? I would rather people like cover their ears than just be like, just like stroll by, you know, at uh, at a gallery or something. Yeah. So that has changed so drastically. The, the, the Both the process and the product has changed so drastically over the past 12 years. You know, we're such, we're all such different people. People have come and gone and stuff like that, but it has been just a, a really important and beautiful part of, uh, of my being an artist. One, one of the, one of the many beautiful and important parts of being an artist for me. It almost alludes to perspective of the listener and the experience that they get 
but you're also talking about the experience of you and your bandmates making the music. There's certainly a philosophical implication, I think, with how you're making it, how it's presented, and how the audience, how every individual, even ear, on the same head can just engage in this mindful, amazing craft of sound. For me, as a, as a fan and as a listener, it just contributes to you know, questions about what the art is, how it's made. One, you know, it's not just about you as musicians being masters of your craft and of you know your instruments, but also of what it is that you're trying to say or what you're asking. Yeah, I love. I'm a I'm a person who. Like I'll watch how it's made, you know, that show with the the stuff that they make the widgets <laughs> yeah. and they're like, Oh, this is how you make a pontoon boat. You know, I love that stuff. And I'm like a, a real, like kind so of, good. you know, I fix a bunch of houses. That's a, th- that's a thing that has been going on in my life for, for 10 mm-hmm. years too. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you, and, and in audiology too, right? Like we as providers, you know, the beauty of diagnostics and like kind of pulling something apart and going, why, how is that working? And how is it not working? You know? And so when I can do that um, in terms of like the art that I make too, you know, and teach people about ways in which they can listen, then I feel like they get to, they get to do the thing that, you know, that's why the film's going so fun. Like, I mean, that's the coolest thing in the world, right? Like for the uninitiated, we did like a a bunch of like uh, silent Christmas films and we did it for a handful of years and we recorded it a couple of times, but you know, to see like Santa sawing away on a thing and you, Mm -hmm. you see the violinist over there, like, like scratching away. (laughs) It's hilarious. You know, it's, 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 it makes you feel, it makes you feel a thing that, seeing the film, maybe even just recorded, but like watching us do that thing to the action on screen, mm-hmm. you know, it's great. It's so much fun. Uh, so that, that how it's made uh, question, I always having been in a music educator and still like teaching is like in my bones, you know, I can't not. Right. And so just like sharing ways to be or sharing ways to think about the thing that we're we're trying to do without giving too much. You don't want to give it all away, right? Right. Right. You want people to come to things with with their their own experiences and emotions, and that's essentially like the way that we we approach it. Anytime I do like you know a pre concert talk or whatever, it's like always like uh, this is some context. This is what was going around on around that time. This is what was happening with the composer or whatever. But really, like. You are here now being in this space 
you will never be in this space. You will never hear this music in this way. And uh, that's that's really like the the beauty of of performance. You know, I I have a friend who is like a brilliant, brilliant musician. And I always said to him, like, dude, why don't you record like all the time? Why are you not like just on every record? And he's like, because that's just like one. It's trying to capture that one thing, that one perfect take. And I just want it. I want to be in music all the time. I want to I want to live in it all the time. And so if I'm playing it for people on a all the time basis, then I'm, I'm living it instead of like trying to just have this little slice of one perfect take after three to 50 or whatever it is. Right. goes back to what we were saying before of like you know the thing whatever that thing is that makes us do this like it was there like when we were young for whatever reason and we just found ways to it you know and so like the more you can live live in music and go to concerts and and play and play shows and like uh that that's you know where i feel Uh, a lot of joy in my life, so. Because it reminds you that the uh, the verb that we use with music is play. Yeah. You know, it's not work. Yeah. You don't work music. You don't yeah. do music. You well, that's music. like the the whole the whole deal with like this triptych of albums that we're releasing. Yeah. You know, work was the first one. Yeah. And and we engaged a lot with like uh, labor and and you know social class and uh, you know these like kind of heavy pieces, and that those yeah. sessions were work is an understatement well yeah you can see we, yeah yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah we we actually i'll uh i've i've told folks this but we recorded the three albums in 
a 10 day span. Mm. So the mm. stuff that we're releasing now, you know, has, has been in the can for a while and we've got uh, another one coming. Uh, so play just came out and rest will be out. Um, but yeah, this idea that like we do it cause it, it satisfies some joyous part of us, you know, it, it, it is work, but you're right that we don't work music. We play it, you know? I guess that kind of leads to this next question. Maybe you've already answered it, but why music? I don't know. Why, why not? <laughs> you know, like I, I think, you know, again, like really for me, when I think about the most important or the best shows that I've played or the best concerts that I've done, the ones that always stand out are ones where I was pushed to a place that I didn't know that I could be, mm-hmm. but with people who, um, who mean a lot to me. In the beginning, and I think this happens for a lot of musicians, you know, you work very hard on your technique and your craft and you get like really bogged down in the minutia. Over time, I feel like maturing is not like becoming more technically proficient, but like becoming closer to the people that are, that you're making that, that art with. And so to like go back to like this idea of like what the audience experiences is what I hope they see that. I hope they, they get to feel some of the things that we feel about each other yeah, yeah. Um, with us and about us, you know, like the things that we admire about the musicians that we admire, you know, like we go and see them live, I think in part to, to feel some kind of like closerness to them even though they might be you know in an arena with you know tens of thousands of other people there's some there's some draw there right we want to we want we want that physical mad and so again it's just like in part i feel like i can't not you know i can't not pick up an instrument when i get home and, you know be thinking about this kind of stuff throughout the day sure if I've ever heard another yeah. musician talk the way that you do, not just about your bandmates, but about why you do music the way that you do it. It's just something to get you closer to each other, but maybe just really engage in a very human experience that 
you're just making it for yourselves and you're doing it because you love to do it. You know, you just, you do it because of that and you do it for yourselves. And if other people group, you know, can groove to it, great. You know, if not, well, you know, that's okay too. But it's really just amazing of the, the why for music. So I agree. And like, it comes across to the listener too, that there's the passion there. Like you mentioned something about like, uh, how are they going to take it? Basically is the big question, but the experience of the performers is so committed that it's like, well, however they take it, there's no question about the way that they take it. It's going to be a hundred percent something. There's no, like, there's no room for, I don't know. It was okay. <laughs> like nobody's going to walk away from it saying like, you know, it was, it was so, so. You know, nobody's going to experience it that way. Yeah. It's going to be a strong yes or a strong no or some some really strong feeling. Yeah. You know, and that that's great. In that way, it's better than a steak dinner. Yeah. I mean, I used to I used to worry about, like, getting good reviews and, you know, chasing stuff down. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I in order to present concerts, you need people at your concerts so you know there there is certainly uh legwork on on that front um and that takes time and effort and creativity and you know sometimes stuff that we don't necessarily want to do but um know that it's it's a, a means to an end of like supporting this idea of community around this music So, you know, I, st I still just like fall back on people bringing themselves to this, uh, to this music um, because I guess what you were saying, Frank, is like that it, it makes you think and feel differently. And that's something that I think yeah. um, as a society, we, we like avoid a, a lot of negative things or, or, or we're always just trying to stay comfy. And I think when people can kind of be put outside their comfort zone, just, just a little bit, just with whatever's hitting their ears, it kind of forces them to be a little bit more present minded or presently engaged. Um, I hope, I hope. And that's another important aspect of like experiencing the thing live, you know, mm -hmm. experiencing the event, the performance, well, I, I think of it like this, like a good movie I rate by how, how long after I watch it, mm. my brain is thinking about mm -hmm. it and I want to talk to people about it. Yeah. And a good meal is the same way. Like how long is this the best meal I've had? 
until, is it next week that I have a better meal or is it because I keep thinking about how good that was and a good piece of music makes me, it changes my brain chemistry. It makes me, you know, if it's really rocking out, it makes me energized. If it's really, you know, soulful and it has a lot of emotion, it, it brings me on that journey with them and your music makes me put what I'm doing down and focus and sit in it, you know, and like really experience it even on the record. And I haven't, I haven't even seen Wooden Cities live, you know, and I, <laughs> I need to, but like, <laughs> and I will also say this, Brendan, I've consumed a lot of, let's call it contemporary avant-garde music in my day. And I don't often have that same reaction. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not just kind of a person out there looking <laughs> for gastric pub foam uh, redux, you know, of music. Yeah. There's something about like the the intentionality of what you guys put out there and, and the, um, the challenge that you're giving to your listener. And it really comes across. So the fact that the people are at the center of that makes me so happy. I'm the happiest person right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm a lucky guy. <laughs> I'm a really, I'm really lucky. Uh, however, I came into the things that I get to do in my art making, I'm just like infinitely grateful for. Like it was funny, I hadn't been doing a whole lot of playing and then out of the blue some friend of mine's like oh man can you cover this musical for me it's like yeah <laughs> yeah i want to play drums in a in a musical and i want to play like real straight ahead stuff and like play it down and people are like oh i didn't know you did that i'm like yeah i do that <laughs> you know <laughs> i love that uh so like you know yeah I, lo I love playing pop music i love getting behind the drum set and um Playing stuff that feels that feels consonant, stuff that yeah. feels like you know, good. Uh, not that Wooden Cities doesn't feel good, but that mm -hmm. you know, this feels different. I know this is this is teeing up uh, Juan for a question that I, that he has on our list here, but um, I was watching um, Faulty mm -hmm. Towers or um, wait, F -f -f Faulty Towers. I just I uh, thank, yeah. thank you. I don't know yeah. how to pronounce it. We faulty towers. Yes, yeah, that's it. Faulty, faulty tower. Yeah, faulty towers. I was watching that and I was like, "Yep, this is noise. It's doing great. Okay, cool. That's that trombone is doing it." And then. And then you broke into like a really funky blast beat. And I was like, damn, Brandon, you got some chops. Where'd that come from? That's funny. Yeah. Like this is like the great thing. So, um, from wooden cities, my, my dear friend, Ethan Hayden and I, uh, kind of fractured into this duo. Um, and man, like that is, that has become another really beautiful thing. You know, a longtime collaborator. Uh, we met at, sorry, well, not met. You know, we played in some ensembles together, but we really only first started talking at our graduation 
Uh, and he's like, oh, you're the dude who does, uh, you know, the, the Zorn stuff, right? And I was like, yeah, I want, I kind of want to get that happening. Would you want to do that? And 12 years later, you know, so yeah, we started this duo and like kind of started writing for it, but then stopped and just like play these like kind of weird, um, non-formed charts. So we'll have like kind of constellations of ideas and kind of like sort of cue them. And, you know, it's sort of the first time that I have come back to drum set and been asked to just like, just express, like just output and just like create and express without, with just two people, you know, you don't have to be as necessarily reserved, you know? So the, the dynamic range of that duo is like, ginormous because i can go from playing like full-on like tearing drum set to like you know like rubbing my finger on a singing bowl and scratching you know the drum you know so like we have this just huge um but yeah faulty tower has been like a real real pleasure uh in that we both get to just like spread out as much as possible so We've been playing some shows kind of all over the place from Erie up to Buffalo and Rochester and stuff. And we're just having an awesome time with it because there's like, we don't have to, we don't have to work so hard to, to make it all come together. seeing part of your performance with Faulty Tower and so it's funny that you mentioned that story because it's similar to how I went into kind of my music since high school. I've had the same drummer in three or four other bands. You know, it's, it's kind of cool that there's this common ground of people and having that experience and sharing that and evolving with it and it just brings about things that I never thought would ever come into existence, to be honest. Yeah, we're, we're, we're different people than, you know, we're different people every time we get together, you know, which mm-hmm. is like the, the beauty of, again, the beauty of performing. We're, we're coming to this uh, anew every time. So, um, and I think that's, that's the great thing is you have to, you have to feel, you have to think about that. You have to like become uh, mindful and intentional of like every time you perform like this is this is this is the only time that this thing will happen so it should be with great intention and with the most meaningful things that you can kind of present and sometimes that happens 
beautifully and sometimes it doesn't. And that's the, the other beautiful part of, you know, art making. If you would look this way, please. My voice is coming to you from the speakers in front and above you. We have for you here tonight, uh, we offer you a creation, a total work of uh, many athletes, artists from many different areas of various arts, but primarily concerned with the performing arts. Ladies and gentlemen, here now, in the midst of the so-called cultural explosion, we are all aware of the excitement of mixed media, which results in the vast array of culture centers creeping all over the country, a phenomenon in contemporary American society, a direct result of widespread long-term developments initiated by important socioeconomic changes in our society. These changes, like a nine-change moon reaction to technological and scientific advances, which create new concerns for the concept of leisure time and its uses. I'm not going to read all of this. You mentioned something that I think could segue us into your talk, which is that it's a curiosity that you had early on playing contemporary music that everybody's experience is so different. And how does that relate to your physical hearing and physical ears? And then that led you bafflingly into this field of audiology. And I'm so curious about that because, um, I mean, I was just saying to Juan earlier that it's kind of an insane thing to do is to say, like, I'm going back to grad school. Um, and yet we've, all three of us have done that. So <laughs> what was your insane reason that you did that? Yeah. Um, I loved teaching. Uh, it, it's a, like a really beautiful art. And I love music. But sometimes, like, the things that keep us from getting to do those things uh, outweigh why you why you stay or why you go. So you know when I was teaching, um, it was just very challenging to feel like I was supported regularly, and you know there were times where I was you know either let go from a job because X Y and Z, a job wouldn't be full time and it wouldn't look like it's going full time and oh yeah, they cut it two years ago, they're going to cut it again. And so I was consistently like at the bottom and somewhat frustrated by the things that kept me from being able to move forward in my career as an educator. And I thought to myself, like some of the best teaching that I get to do is, is through Wooden Cities. And no one, no one can take that from me. Um, so I started looking into other fields and... Um, you know, there was like some article somewhere that said like, oh, this is a job that is like on the rise, you know, right? So <laughs> this is a job that's a thing. I was like, oh man, that looks pretty cool. Like sound is, I know about sound, like I can do this. And they're like, well, whatever, man, it'll take you like five years. And I was like, I was like, I'm too old. And so what I, what I learned was that UB, uh, SUNY at Buffalo was, um, a major tinnitus center, like huge, huge stuff came out of there research wise. And clinically speaking, there was a big focus there. And I was like, that's, that's important. Yeah. That's really important because, you know, I, I had a period 
where I was pretty, pretty worked up about my tinnitus. And that could be a whole other podcast, um, that discussion as it is at times. So I was like, yeah, you know, I'm sure I can do this. Like, here, give me them, give me them books. I'll, I'll get in there and get this going. So, you know, I, I, uh, I did all the prerequisites and the required courses and caught up. And then I was uh, lucky to, when I was in my clinical fourth year, I, I went to the Cleveland Clinic, which is another big center for tinnitus. And so I, I got to work very closely with that team and ask a lot of naive questions uh, about how they do things the way they do them and why. and uh, But at the same time, they have a phenomenal balance program. So I had this really intensive rotation. And and now what I do is uh, I'm a, a tinnitus and a balance guy, which like I had no idea what that would be like. And so like people are like, wait, so you you see the tinnitus and, and the dizzy patients and the musicians? And I said, yes. Audiologists tend to maybe run the other way on a lot of those patients because yeah. they're t- it's so tough. Um, it's really complicated. It's a really complex thing. But the tinnitus thing, you know, uh, as a provider, talk about teaching, right? Getting people to understand what is happening in and between their ears and to, to like have these long form visits where patients can be heard and also like learn and feel like there's hope is like a really, really beautiful and empowering thing. You know, my tinnitus patients. And on the balance side, you know, I, t- I tell folks every time I, I sit down with them, you know, we're our goal today is a deep dive into the ears. We're going to see, we're going to ask the question, are the ears involved? If so, how? And if not, it, it takes something off the table for us because balance is a super, super complicated thing. Um, and I'm lucky enough, again, however it happens, I'm lucky enough to be in a health system right now that lets me do all of those things. And uh, just like in teaching, you know, my motto was, what is best for students? And now I ask that question, what is best for patients? Every single day, we have to ask ourselves those questions. And so that's, that's sort of been my, my journey, this, this kind of parallel journey. You know, I tell, I tell some of my patients that every once in a while, They're like, what, wait, I'm sorry, you were a music teacher and now you work in healthcare and that doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know, you know, like, you just you just get these ideas and then seven years later you know it does that make sense yeah yeah right right mm. uh, but it's it's like been a really beautiful uh, journey and not without its hardship for sure um, there's been tons and tons of challenges but 
you know, when I when I stop and think about like the things that I get to do and the ways that I get to help people and musicians, you know, when musicians come to the clinic, you know, obviously to have these this kind of like multi-pronged, multi-faceted life is is why it's so great. And that's that's why it's it's great to find other people who have like, you know, you guys and other kind of music audiology people have kind of like found this weird spot. You know, we live in this very unique space in the profession where we go to loud concerts, but we also talk about hearing protection. And, you know, like like this this community of music audiology, I know this comes up on the podcast all the time, but it's it's a it's a special spot. Brendan, thank you. This is so fun to talk with you about this because I've been thinking about your music and the way that you produce it. And you and I have worked on audiology stuff in the past and we've never gotten to make music together. And I just hope that we do one day because it's it's exciting to think about it. And it's so fun to hear you talk about it. So thank you. Thanks for making the time for this. Thank you. Thank you. You're the best. Talking Ears is a production of Earmark Hearing Conservation. The theme music is by Scott Hallam. You can find more of his music at audiodowsing.com. The show is produced and edited by Juan Vasquez, Scott Hallam, Mary Kim, and myself. Thanks for listening.